Hi guys, welcome to Belief Alchemy with Megan O'Neill. Every week I'll be sitting down to interview visionary women who will teach us how to have a more magical mindset and to create greater possibility in our lives and in our business. Hello, hello, Miss Leah. How are you? Oh, I'm great today. How are you, Megan? Good. So I'm happy to have my friend Leah, and I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself as I do my guests always. Okay. Well, professionally, I work for the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, and we call ourselves the voice of business. We represent, so it's all businesses across the country, right? Geographically, size-wise across sectors. So we're that sort of big, big tent umbrella. And we have a series of uh, boards of trade and, and local chambers that I think most of your listeners will recognize from wherever they, they sit. And what I do is we have a small but mighty policy department. And Megan, my focus uh, for the past number of years has been what we call workforce strategies and inclusive growth. So that's skills of the future, uh, immigration, you know, policies, regulations, uh, as well as um, diversity and inclusion, getting everybody in the workforce and all of those pieces and both from the perspective of employees, but also employers, right? So female business owners and entrepreneurs as well. You know, that sounds pretty cool to me. And I know a little bit about your work because I listen, listen to you talk, speak about it. But, you know, when I think about the Chamber of Commerce, I always think sort of like old white conservative mm -hmm. men. Like that sort of the, like he's the chamber of commerce type is sort of what you think of someone who maybe is in the conservative party in Canada or um, in the States of Republican and you sort of that, that sort of stereotype, right? Is it really that? Is that what it is really? So, so I'm not going to pretend there isn't an element of that, Megan, but I'm going to tell you something that 70% of the heads of those boards of trade and local chambers across this country are women. Oh, yeah, so times they are changing. Yeah, and I mean, I can't tell you how wonderful that is. When you see these women as head, how does that affect the direction, do you think, of the different chambers? I think it's fantastic because you, it serves as in, inspiration, first of all, right? You, you see that. You see those, those, it's a very visual effect, Megan. But I would argue that it's not only, it's about diversity writ large, first of all, by gender, but it's also, you know, um, it's, I always, you know, there's an external piece to that as well. We've got more work to do on the diversity front. Who doesn't in this country yeah. these days? And as well, though, it's, it's a mindset, right? It's just different pieces coming from different sectors of business, but inside and outside of business from government, from, you know, entrepreneurship, from, you know, more traditional bigger, you know, business, smaller business. So it's, it's that that adds to that, that diversity and inclusivity. Yeah. And I think just on a, a practical basis, most of the people who are um, starting their own businesses and entrepreneurship are um, certainly in small businesses as women. Mm -hmm. And then second of all, we have all these um, really interesting entrepreneurs coming into the country from other places and not the kind of traditional old school what it used to be the Europeans or Western Europeans or whatever that used to dominate and I'm thinking on a practical level it's just smart to have diversity uh it's not you know there it's not only smart it affects your bottom line for the positive and these days Megan or maybe we'll talk about it's the only thing to do when we talk we need everybody in right we need everyone in to 
rebuild this country, but to build a workforce to to fill the gaps and, and to move forward. I know, you know, it's true. It's, you know, it used to be the right thing to do. Then it was like the business smart thing to do, because there is, there's no shortage of data that, that says more diverse, more, you know, well thought boards are, have better bottom line. It's just a fact. Like I don't, you know, and, and now though, moving forward, as we look at our, you know, the makeup of the country, the makeup of the workforce. I mean, we'll talk about this in recovery. Women are 50% of the population. This isn't actually what we're going to talk about a women's issue. It's an economic issue. It's economic growth, right? Totally. So, totally. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I got to say that I was uh, talking about fifty percent of the population. Uh, you, you of course know my son Tommy, and Tommy is a fourteen-year-old. And just talking about beliefs about women, I said, "So your playlist you're listening to, how? What percentage of it is women?" And he went, "Well, about twenty-five percent of the playlist is women." And I said, "But there's fifty percent in the world." So you know, it's just those kind of like little mindset shifts, right? That you start to try and have this conversation with your kids to change things. But I want to go back to your own history because I'm, you know me, I'm always interested in how people ended up where they are and how did they end up with the mindset that they did. Mm-hmm. So when you went to university, this is really interesting. You studied Russian <laughs> <laughs> literature, wasn't it? Was it literature? Yeah, Russian studies, literature, history, and language. So. Oh my gosh! And mm-hmm. so, how did you get? How, like, what was your first job getting into university? Well, then I had to go on and get more education and branched out a little bit, Megan. But my story actually is my very first job about two weeks after I graduated from my master's is I ended up in the former Yugoslavia after the war um, uh, working uh, with an international organization through an opportunity that was provided by the, the federal government and continued to stay there for a number of years. What did you see when you were there? <laughs> yeah, that seems like a lifetime ago now too, but can you imagine the experience, right, of someone coming out from the, you know, young, academic, yeah. uh, uh, well-respected, and it, it was a situation that was a post-conflict, but it was also post-communist as well, right, and, and really re- re- reeling from those those economic changes as well. Megan, I saw, you know, the, the you know, you know, terrible tragedies and devastation but i also saw resilience right and 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 beauty in in the country and the people so yeah yeah like to start off that way i look back and 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 can't believe how fortunate i was you know as a you know westerner privileged all of those pieces to have that experience i just feel very blessed and it actually you know set my trajectory you know as as lenses as you look at the world right yeah, because you were a baby back then. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you you have not yet reached fifty. You've not you not joined me in the era the era of fifty. But I want to ask you this: when you first started your career, because I always talk to people mm-hmm. about. I look back as a fifty two year old, and I go, "Oh my god, I can't believe in my twenties what I was thinking." Or how mm-hmm. some is good, and some of it, some of it not so great. And it was a different era, right? It was in the nineties. What did you struggle with as you began your career and you started to navigate your path? What mindset block do you think that you remember having? Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, I was going to what the, the mindset that I, I think it's a bit of naivete, right? And, and prioritizing. I mean, I think at that point we thought we could do it all and 
you know, I think we were the first generation to think, you know, yesterday already, right? I graduated, I'm going to be president tomorrow, right? And not seeing the journey and not seeing, you know, the priorities, Megan. And, and I've had a very varied career. You know, I find my back myself back in Ottawa here with, with uh, those who I would have graduated with who had incredible year, you know, years in the public service and really worked their way up. But I think we were all so work-driven then, right? We, we, we were that generation that was resting on the backs of, of those who had come before us. We thought we could have it all. We got it all. And we kind of looked around and said, this is it. Like, this is what we worked for. And, and I hope that pendulum will swing back a little bit and balance in the middle. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, I remember having this discussion with my mom because she saw that first generation. She wasn't that really that first no. generation. She was too old for that. But I remember because she worked with the medical doctors who graduated from McMaster, particularly just as women were starting to graduate as, fa as family doctors. And her saying to me, actually, you can't have it all. And I remember her specifically saying, you can not have it all at once, but you can have it. Mm -hmm. And bugging me about my fertility and saying, you need to actually think about your, you need to actually think about kids because I had to get that push. Um, but, you know, when you talk about having that kind of varied background, mm -hmm. I would think that would be an advantage for your career, not to, not to dis, dis um, not to dish, I guess, or dismiss that these government, uh, it, that the people who have risen in the government don't have wonderful experience. But if you have varied experience, I would think that would be more desirable. Yeah, and to each his own, again, right. as well, right? Because you can have those varied experiences within the public surface as well. But I think I've been blessed in my career. I've worked inside of government, different levels of government, outside of government, both in charity and now in, in the business sector, right, as well. It's still nonprofit, but, but on that side of some you know side of the table where sometimes we're not all at the same table, right? But in in this world that I work in about diversity, inclusion, inclusive growth, workforce, business is a key player here, right? And and they have stake and 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 they have intention as well, Megan. You know the vast majority of them do. So that's why it's important to bridge those gaps and have those experiences. You know it's almost like a translator, right? I can you know speak the language of government to business and vice versa, because sometimes, you know, nobody can see me, but I'm like having my hands miss the mark there. Right. So. And most of the, most of the people that I have known who've been a nonprofit actually have been women. Did you make a conscious choice to go nonprofit? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think so. Yeah. Well, especially because of my background too, more of an, an arts background than, than a business or a science as well. So it, it, it was a natural fit for me. I don't even think I ever thought of, of yeah, if I look back, it wasn't even a, a question. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it is. So as you traveled through your different, one of the things that you and I talked about just, just before this was that you had an, an unusual way of approaching yeah. your career. Talk about that to me. Yeah. So, you know, everyone talks about taking the steps up, the steps up, the steps up. I, through my career, have taken either a lateral or once or twice even, a, I would say, a step down. Uh, Megan, by choice and by need, I will say as well, right, as a working mother, as a single mother, as a mother with kids with different needs, right? So, so it wasn't always by choice, but, but that's what sort of, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, the, the arrow up, like on the side of a pyramid, it was very much a step like a staircase that sometimes went down as well, but, but sort of, you know, 
I don't think for me it worked, right? It doesn't work for everyone, but then you have sort of a, a, a lateral move that then allows you to get in and, and jump higher, right? And and whether that's good or not, it's a reality and, and it worked for me. So well, I think that's interesting. Um, because was it uh was it purposeful? Like you took maybe a position that was a, a step down because you wanted to get into an organization? Was that the idea, or was it because it was the job that you needed at that time? Uh, I think it was a combination of both. Like I've had both experiences where I've had to, I've had to, you know, you know, you're kind of on the, you know, younger in your career on a sort of rise, but then you have children. So you have to plateau. Right. And then even, you know, coming to you or really wanting a job or wanting to work for an organization. And so, you know, having to, to, take it across to become known within the organization in order to step up. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. You should talk about um, having children. I have, uh, if you went through the women that I have interviewed for this podcast, you'll find a large number of single moms mm -hmm. um, because I have great admiration and I feel that they bring a lot of wisdom because they've had to think outside the box and they have to just do often. They just have to do. There is no one else who's got their back. They have to do. So it's really interesting that you're, you're mentioning that. But I also wonder because, um, and I was actually talking to Kevin, my husband, about this uh, today, that I feel like my career 150% was affected from being a mother. And I don't say that as a victim, by the way. I made a choice. I made a conscious choice. But I do think that there's no doubt because of the conditioning from our generation where we were still mothers were still kind of taking care of everything, let alone this, let alone a single mom, that there wasn't as much time or energy or mental energy that I invested in my career. That's, that's kind of what I was, I was trying to explain it to him. Um, do you see that? Have you seen that? Do you feel that? Oh, absolutely. And it's well-documented as well, Megan. It's, it's the, you know, fault taking the time off first of all for for the mat leave you know i uh, we're really going to date ourselves here but yeah. i remember you know we had our first children just as that first year mat leave was coming in which is a beautiful bonus many people in the you know world we don't have to look very far who don't have that but that takes you out of the workforce for a year and that puts you you know there's lots of studies from that on puts you behind the eight ball because even when you do get back you've already lost ground and then it's your prior, you know, let, let's be realistic. And the pandemic has really shone a light on this as well. Who continues to pair, bear the brunt of, of domestic responsibilities, whether that be children, elder care, home care, booking vaccines, it, it largely, I know it's still a stereotype, but it, it's true, Megan, it, it still largely falls on women. So you, you don't have those productivity hours, Megan. There's actually a large concern, Megan, we can talk about it a bit, yeah. but there's a work from home phenomenon that's happened in this pandemic overnight. Now, first of all, that's not for everyone. Let's make it clear, right? There are lots of essential workers and other, you know, should be deemed essential workers who have not had that privilege during this. But now as we start to look, right, we, we can see the end of this, right? So what does that look like? Because everybody wants, you know, we're not talking about going back to the office fully. It's this quote unquote hybrid. But companies and businesses have to be very careful because who can go back to the office 
full time or all the time. And what that means is also very indicative for reasons we're just discussing, right? Yeah. And, and I can relate to that because my husband was an essential worker and he, he's, you know, he's a hands-on worker, has to be there physically. Um, the people who supervised him were not in the, you know, and, and he was, to be honest, he was in the, he was being exposed. He had the possibility of being exposed to COVID and people who were um, the supervisors, they were not in at all for the whole time. So they did not have the same exposure and the relationship kind of had a breakdown, to be honest. So as you're talking about the hybrid, the first thing that came to my mind was that where they're going to have to be careful. And I think this has actually been, COVID has uncovered a lot of inequities. And I think we're going to have to really think about that. But going back to the women, um, I know because I work, uh, I I focus mostly on entrepreneurial women. They are the, the people that I talk to in terms of work. They're the people that I'm aware of. I happen to live around a lot of women who work for the government and I've heard their struggles too. Most of them actually, to be honest, want to go back to the office or at least because A, they feel they get more done Mm -hmm. and they are focused in their time there and B, because they are supervising people. That was kind of the the sort of anecdotal that I've heard. But my entrepreneurial friends, um, it's been really hard and heartbreaking you know, we're talking store owners, service people. Um, like I can't tell you how many people, like everything from yoga teachers, you name it, mm-hmm. who run their own businesses. I mean, they have been so hard hit financially and emotionally by the COVID. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking, Megan. And 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 we talk like everybody has been affected by this crisis. It's it's touched every person in this country. Uh, but there is also a reality that, that some groups, including women, have been disproportionately affected. And when you talk about, you know, small business, my goodness, and, and we're actually kind of worried as the Canadian Chamber, as we see this recovery, that businesses will actually get to the recovery period, and that's when they'll collapse, because they're so far behind the, the eight ball in debt, right? Like government, you know, giving credit where credit is due, lots of programs out there and deferrals, but it's just it's, it's deferrals, right? And it's adding up as it, it goes on. But, but Megan, if you take a look at, you know, last March, the day the Canada locked down, what were the sectors most affected are those that are female dominated, retail, food and services, right? And, and in previous recessions, Megan, what used to happen is first businesses out were first in. First businesses out this time are last in. So it's that much longer as well. So, you know, we talk a lot about K-shape, right? Yeah. So can the you explain that? Crisis, yeah. Can so, you explain that? So the K-shaped crisis is that there are, um, there are businesses that are thriving and going up the K, but there are also businesses going down the K. So those that, that are going down are those that, um, uh, that we call sort of that, that, anything with a touch, right? Retail, food and services. And those are disproportionately owned by women. And that's where we're employed as well. So, so that's, that's the effect that it has had. Again, Megan, everyone is affected. We're not trying to minimize it. But if you look at those details, they're in, right? And then even us who have been able to continue to work have been affected through this pandemic because of the lockdowns, online schooling, you know, all of those things we talked about before. So it's, it's the 
it's the added burdens to our pro productivity, not to mention our mental health has been affected. That's really, well, I mean, even my tennis partner that I had the other day, she is a physio, works in the hospital, but she has been working like, like a mad woman because women who are physios as well have smaller kids than her and the emotional turmoil and stress of that because her kids are older, she's, she's, she's taken over for them. Yeah. So, but, but going back to business and thinking about that debt, I know people personally who thought that they would receive assistance for the government who did not, who are in, you know, yeah. So, so, they, so yeah, go ahead. So that's the other element of female businesses, right? They tend to be smaller, yeah. uh, non-incorporated, not as many employees. Now, women like other business owners as well tend to not, you know, take income. Sometimes it's dividends. So all of these played into eligibility of some of the government programs to the detriment of women. Again, government did listen, adjusted accordingly as well. But overall, this, you know, it's it's those those smaller businesses that that tend to be women and in the sectors that they're involved that that have been been affected you know this is this is so they even don't apply for those those um they don't qualify for those those programs that that are out there so yeah i can relate to that personally I mean, I, I did not apply. I think I, I stopped the SERB. I didn't think I should apply A. I didn't think I deserved to apply. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why, and I'll tell you this honestly, is because my husband is a government worker and I knew that we could live on his income. And there were other people who seemed to me in my mind to be more deserving. And I think that's a mindset, obviously this huge uh, mindset block, exactly. right? It's like a classic. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder as we move forward and talking about the K-shape, um, and say, for example, these businesses may collapse or may not, you know, may have ramifications for years, which could be everything from their retirement to everything. Um, my initial thought, because I'm so tuned into what women believe about themselves, that we are not great at advocating. And certainly in the political realm, I, I'll be honest, I never hear anybody talking about policies in my little, little groups about government policy for the mm -hmm. most part. And they don't talk as if they're not important enough to receive sort of any any consideration. Do you, do, do studies show that or am I kind of, is that just an anecdotal thing? No, and I would argue the other place that this has played out uh, for years and decades, Megan, is around childcare and early learning, right? So this is, it is, is it is those programs you know what? What we continue to hear from from women business owners, as as we've done our policy work, is that the number one issue is childcare for them, right? And they need the flexibility in childcare, and they need you know the qualifications for this, you know, all of these sorts of things as well. And and it is you know sort of that that double whammy as a parent and a business owner for the programs that you need. And it is exactly because you're trying to make it through the day for personally and. Professionally, that advocacy piece doesn't come to play, right? Yeah, uh, back in our day, we sound like old ladies, but this was like, what, 15, 16 years, say 14 years ago when we were all having our second. So anybody, the reason why I'm saying this, Lee, is because we were in our mom's group together. And yes. so we all had our babies at the same time and our second babies at the same time. And, I, and our friends, they literally quit their positions because childcare for two children yes. was astronomical. 
And so I think that the babies were like 12 to 1400 per month back in, in 2006 and seven. And then they had to pay everything on top of that. Like, you know, even dry cleaners picking up. And then it was just a really miserable situation. And it, that's like a mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, that was a mortgage payment back then. So I can see, I remember thinking the reason why they're going freelance yep. is because of the fact that they knew that this would be financially and they'd be able to, to um, have more control over their time as well. That was a big mm -hmm. consideration, right? Mm -hmm. But going, going forward now, um, I mean, what, what, what do you, you got the numbers on Monday, didn't you? Remember we were talking last about Friday. Yeah. last Friday. Yeah. And yeah. so can you explain what numbers we're talking about? Yeah, so every month the government uh, issues what's called a labor force survey that takes a look at, at employment in, across the country. It's, you know, a snapshot, but it's also, you know, valid enough that it's an indicative. So, um, you know, we had a couple of good months there. Uh, and and I, I think we have to contextualize it to, as well, Megan. We sit in Ontario, which uh, today, as we talk today, is, is in step one and, and opens up, but uh, is among if not among them, the most restrictive place, right? So, you know, no surprises, job numbers reflect the lockdown situation. Uh, first of all, we had some opening up, so numbers crept up, but last month and this month, again, numbers fell. But I think what's really important about numbers last month, which would be um, from May, yeah. is that 68,000 jobs, 68, jobs were lost, but um, half of those were in retail, first of all. Yeah. And, and if we take a look at the bigger picture numbers, Megan, we've been tracking and we can talk about women falling out of the workforce. Um, uh, 40,000 women last month alone fell out of the workforce. And, and, and that is so alarming that, that I can't I can't even put words around it and I can't understand why there isn't, you know, a, a bigger uproar or concern, especially as we head into summer months here for many, you know, online schooling was one issue for, for many of us. But as we look into, you know, the summer where there'll be no, you know, limited summer camps, limited coverage, right? We, you know, literally throwing in the towel. And Megan, the other issue that's of concern here for, and, and again, disproportionately for women, but but for, for Canadians in general, is this what we call long-term unemployment. If you're unemployed for more than four months, right? Because that's when your skills atrophy, right? And, and you, you get discouraged, right? You might fall out of the workforce and not even look, but if you're in the workforce sort of looking as well, it gets discouraging. And, and you know, how to find out where those jobs, you know, some of them are disappearing. Well, where are they coming in and how do we get there? That's, it's, it's a really concern. Half a million Canadians last month, again, are long-term unemployed. And, and, and these are, are, are real concerns for, for long-term, again, recovery, for individuals, but also for economic growth of the country. So. so in a real, like a sort of real life, I'm curious when talking about the concern, talking about kind of the warning the bells should be going off, or at least there should be uh, attention paid to it. Yeah. Um, what do they predict the consequences will be of this? If there's 40,000 people last month, what do they think the consequences like longer term will be? Well, we uh, we at the chamber call yeah. it economic scarring, right? I think Megan, to be honest, in the in the bigger picture, we're close, right? Everybody just wants this to end, and we all want the good news stories, right? And and I don't want to, you know, 
uh, it is close, but I think we also have to be realistic because I think if we get expectations that second vaccines are coming and everybody's opening up, then then that's going to be highly, you know, we, we thought we were going to be in this lockdown for what, a month, right? Like, look at the, look at the, the, the ex, extra weight of expectations on that, Megan. And, and I think another, you know, from where I sit, another real important point to, to bring forward here is that you know, we do have our, our big businesses and they've actually suffered as well, Megan, depending on their sector, like really. But small and medium-sized businesses are the economic engine of this country. They're like 98% of the businesses in this country. And I can give you all sorts of stats about, you know, employment and economic growth. And so we need them at the end of the day businesses create the jobs right government can do a lot to facilitate it but in the absence of you know businesses closing actually mean jobs as well and we sometimes fail to equate that and i think we all just want to get to the end already and you know that collective aha sigh but but i think you know we're trying to put in place you know some some mechanisms or you know at least point these things out to hope that that we can set ourselves up for success going forward. So Megan, you know, as the business community, we see the importance of, um, you know, again, it's not a women's issue, it's an economic issue. So we talk about issues of childcare and early learning, you know, affordable, accessible, all of those pieces. And it's really complicated in this country, but it's really needed. We talked oh, about, yeah. no, I was just going to say that, you know, for female entrepreneurs, right, the importance of funding, you know, one of the biggest things that government can do is even procurement, right, procurement targets that look at, at, at things, you know, like this, and support women in their, their job pivots, and we can talk about that as well, but it's not only what you learn and going up that K-shape, but how you learn and the, the reality of, of, you know, women's lives and there's an intersectionality element to that as well Megan I don't want to diminish that as well because there's not it's just you know if if you start breaking that down it, it gets very complicated as well yeah I think that's interesting because when you were speaking you said um, it's an economic issue not just a women's issue mm -hmm. and I'm just thinking even about the way in which to me we have to present, it's always interesting with corporations and with business and all of that, there's always seems to be that it can't just be about women, that it has to be about economics too. And I think that we we often couch our language. Do you know what I mean? We change our language because as if in some ways our experience is not important enough. And I think this is true. I think this is true. And it's and that meaning that women haven't because we're conditioned to see women as not as important and our expectations of women are different than i think men just even going back to the domestic duties and how much there's so much more domestic labor by women than there are men that i'm often thinking that some of the leaders in in business are just starting to understand the importance of women like that's sort of my impression the policies have really not changed an awful lot even in like, think about it since we were, and, and it's kind of surprising. And what I often get frustrated with is that I think that women think that, first of all, I think we're too, we think we're too busy to think about it. And I think that we rely on, um, like, I'm, that's why I'm so pleased to have you here to talk even through the numbers of it mm. and sort of clarify it for us and make us understand how important this is and how we need to shift our thinking. 
because I mean, I'm talking to women about sort of basic fundamental things that part of the reason why, and I, th I think you saw me post it today where like imposter syndrome is going to cost us money, but you know, women talk about imposter syndrome at every level, every woman I've ever talked to, wherever they're, whatever their position they're in, they always talk about imposter syndrome, but that would be presented as a, an emotional thing. Like it's emotional. I feel this way. I feel like I don't belong. I feel like I need to prove myself, but there are real life consequences for that in terms of wealth accumulation. They make less because they ask for less, for example. And this is what you see all the time, particularly with women who are um, negotiating their own fees, right? Even, even salaries. I'm sure you probably have had experiences where you had to go in and ask for your salary. And you're like, eh, most women are kind of skittish around this. But going back to going forward and seeing the future, and I know you're, you said, I don't want to be doom and gloom, but we do need to actually understand that this is the realism of what has happened, and particularly to women. But what do you think that we could do going forward? Yeah, so I am usually quite doom and gloom or, or realistic, as I like to put it. <laughs> yeah. right? But I think, you know what, like through the pandemic, we've also seen the story of innovation, yeah. of grit, of determination. And Megan, we've also seen a real shift. I think it was happening before we talk a lot about the pandemic. Well, there's a few new trends, but really just accelerating them empathetic leadership, the need for communication, that, you know, this, there, there is a real, real, real shift happening here um, among all, like, among all leaders, which I think and will hope will open the door for others as well. Yeah, because I think there's going to be a lot of social upheaval. Mm -hmm. As a result of news coming, for example, out of the States that, you know, the richest men in the world paid zero income tax. So I think there's going to be like a lot of shifts coming forward as a result of this pandemic that has highlighted inequities that we just didn't pay attention to before. Obviously, social justice, we've, we've noticed. But when you, th it's funny, you should say empathetic leadership. I think that's a really interesting, I had not heard that. I've never heard that term before, but okay. it makes so much sense to me because you're going to attract the best talent and retain talent if you're empathetic mm -hmm. and you have insight you're using that into emotional intelligence. I remember years ago reading about, and I think it was the, I saw an interview with the CEO of Deloitte Touche. Did you, do you know this? Do you know what I'm going to say? No, I always love your stories though. I'm, so I'm, yeah. I'm watching this interview and this, the head of it is, you know, your typical, what you'd imagine a CEO to look like, right? Sort of your typical older white fellow very highly intelligent. And he said, you know, he had um, trained all these women in these senior leadership positions, and then they left. And he thought the old fashioned thing that we would have all thought, well, they just went to have children and they weren't pursuing anything else. They were pursuing their, their motherhood. They were being a mother. What he found out is they left to go to different organizations that were more supportive. So that for him was an economic decision because his talent was, was going out the door. So there is a logic to it as well. Oh, absolutely. Right. And, and that's at the end of the day, the logic drives, you know, a lot of decisions. That's just a reality, Megan. But, you know, yeah, a lot of women look at the world you work in and how many women just went out on their own. Right. For that exact reason. So, yeah. And they went out on their own. And I was talking about this the other day to the, this woman who I've yet to to publish her, Allison, um, Allison Hardy. And I said to her, she was an academic. 
um, and was let go and was eight months pregnant and was an American, of course, did not have the same mat leave that we do in Canada. And she was like, mm, I had mortgage payments. I had to like literally in my eight month, like within days of giving birth, start my business. And she just happened to have a knack. So I think there is going to be a lot of that. But coming from where you are right now and in the position that you're in, what do you think is coming up in the next while? Uh, a lot of disruption continued, yeah. but a lot of change, Megan. And I would say for the, you know, for the better, right? We still, you know, we do have these, these unemployment numbers that, you know, pre-pandemic, we had in Canada record high vacancy rates and record unemployment rates. So that was our effort, you know, around inclusive growth. It wasn't only a nice thing or a smart thing to do. It was the only thing to do. We needed everybody in the workforce going forward. The irony of the pandemic is it's all, it's going to all have to shift and work itself out. Megan, there's a big mismatch in skills. There's still, there is still high higher unemployment than we've seen for a long time, but but there's still difficulty filling work, right? And and this is at this big macro level about how it's all going to balance out. In the meantime, it's individuals having to do this, Megan. But but I think I think in order to, you know, to get talent, to retain talent, you know, things are going to have, they're still going to shake out both sector-wise and what this work from home thing does and doesn't look like. And everybody talks about hyperboles, right? It's the end of the office and you can go move to suburbia or, yeah. or, or rural Canada. And, and, and I are actually put a note of caution there because that's with your current employer. You don't know what it'll look like with your next employer because there'll be shifts, but it's not, you know, everyone talks about the pendulum, you know, swinging one way or the other, and, and it'll be, hybrid in the middle and and the need for flexibility i think though is what employers have ha i mean there is no longer the excuse after this pandemic that you can't work from home and be productive like that that conversation is gone right so so what does it look like right because you know some people as you say want to go back to the office some people want to stay home some people want to mix what does it mean when there's a mix as well, right? You know, my experience is before the pandemic, offices were very successful when they were all virtual or all in the office. What does this, this hybrid really look like, right? So there is a whole lot to figure out, but we're going to actually have to need to figure it out, right? Because it's not only what the pandemic's brought on, it's the overlay of, you said, these social justice and and, you know, even look at the tragic events in the last two weeks in this country. I think we have to take a good, hard look at ourselves and go, you know, relatively speaking, but I don't think that's good enough, right? Like, what does that really mean? And that goes beyond, you know, business and workforce. That's us as a country deciding. And I think we need female leadership in order to actually swing some of the pendulum, right? I think that that women are, um, well, I, I, we always talk about this, but women, uh, I'm just, I'm just going to pull out a book, but of course they can't see it. But mm -hmm. say, for example, I remember this one study years ago I read, and it was about millionaire women who most of the time created their own businesses. They were more, they were like 80, 80% more uh, philanthropic than men who had the same amount of money. But I also think that that will spill into politics. And I think that in order for our, our society to get better, I mean, that is the reason why women need to get wealthier is because it affects positively societal development, right? But when you think about, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to you personally, you've been, you've worked in a lot of different organizations, you've got a lot of experience. What belief do you think that you have cultivated or 
have acquired in order, like that you didn't have when you were younger, that you have now that helps you? Grit. Perseverance, right? Yeah. That, but but it's soft, you know, you, you, you don't have it, and then you have it in heaps. And then again, the pendulum has to swing back, right? Because you become very astute over time as well, right? And, and, and know how to, you know, build trust and constructively rattle feathers rather than want to burn it down, right? So, you know, the reality is that's my, my reality anyway, Megan, is, is learning where those nuances are and, and learning how to have a voice that, that's heard, right? And, and, and that's, that's, um, that's, you know, more art than science. Uh, and again, that's, that's been my experience, but, but to build up over time, right? And to understand that, that, that uh, to be trusted in order to be heard, right? Or how to get your message across is, is you know, is, is a reality. But I think, I think that reality is changing as well because that's what I would like to see coming out of the pandemic as well. We've got all sorts of structures, all sorts of places. And those who have been able to succeed have had to, according to those structures, let's change the structures. Right. Right. And, and that goes, you know, that's politics, that's academia, that's, you know, business, that's the house. Like this is across it. Right. And, and Megan, this is, you know, this is women who are 50% of the population, but then there's that whole intersectionality and diversity piece that, that, um, that, that, cuts across absolutely do we need more women on boards yes but we need a lot more of a lot of other people as well not even only how they look megan but how you think right, right. you know the neurodiversity for example yep. right the you know the these these are coming forward and it moves like molasses but it moves and i think this hopefully pandemic has accelerated that at least somewhat that's a good point i think i think you're probably right i think it actually will accelerate it it usually in history has, right? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons why I never got into the why I could not handle being in the traditional institutions is because of the molasses, as you said, the molasses pace in which change came. And I think that, um, yeah, to be more dynamic, 150%, we need new blood. We need all new, I think a lot of new, new thinking. And it's funny because I keep talking to Kevin about the union and I'm like, the union should be, because he works with the union. And I'm like, the union should just be like so strong right now with everything that's happened and all the people within his union that were policy affected, that was, uh, you know, a very negative uh, people in the people who worked in old age homes, their, their QP people, um, just period. And, and I think part of the reason why people are not thinking about the union as much as I think they should be is because it's, it's approaching things in the old fashioned way and not, not thinking and reinventing itself in some ways, right? So I think there'll be a lot of that. But one other thing, just I, I'll let you go because I know how busy you are, but I just want to talk to you about one more thing because I just you brought it to my attention um, in our talk. A, a couple of years ago, I was invited to, to a, a local Ottawa angel investment. And the women there, it was all women for the most part. And I was at a breakfast and I was speaking to an American who had come to be one of the featured speakers. She was one of the keynote speakers and she was an American woman. She was African-American and she had, um, that was her main, her main, uh, she had done very well in Silicon Valley. And one of the sort of interesting things that I have heard from a couple of different women is that investment is harder for women 
that it's harder for them to get investment, particularly in Canada. What makes us stable also perhaps makes us not as vibrant for entrepreneurs. Does the chamber ever talk about that or what, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, absolutely, right? When we talk about, I mean, there's a whole culture of innovation and uh, investment, you know, as Canada, as a, as a country, Megan. But if you take a look at angel investors in this country, they're uh, predominantly presupposed, pres what is it? Pres presupposed, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Or disposed yeah, to disposed. tech and biotech, right? So, so there's two sides of the, so, so that's, that's, you know, one side of the coin. And then it's the whole other side of the coin, Megan, around, you know, female entrepreneurship, aversion to risk, pitching, confidence, imposter system. So, so maybe they're mutual re reinforcing um, each other, right? And, and that's what's, what's having uh, the gulf and divide and, and very much different than the, the thoughts and the mindset uh, set to the border. To be yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's really interesting because a lot of the women that I know who would like to pursue investment to grow their business, they pretty well have to rely on their own personal savings. And that has been sort of the story I've also heard for women who did not get the support from the government they hoped and they dipped into their their retirement fund or they are um their their growth uh, their investment is coming from themselves or they take on personal debt in order to grow their business so i hope that we can look at that differently and and maybe reassess for example service businesses right that's just one of those things that i find that women who struggle the most to get mm -hmm. investment are service-based Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. And that's it. You need more. And it's, again, that mutually reinforcing the more that women are able and you're doing amazing work even through this podcast, right, of, of bringing that that forward, the more money there is out there that, that can be directed, you know, the more wealth created. Again, it's an economic issue, uh, Megan, right? Like this is the more wealth being created and by who and where they're able, you know, that, that diversity of where we should be going and what we can be doing with it, right? And leadership is still predominantly white males though, you know, like in, in Canada. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Do yeah. you think that they're now starting to understand that things need to shift? Is that what you're underlying? That's what you're telling us? Um, I don't think there's a singular answer. I think there is an understanding, Megan, uh, and, and intention is good. Action is what we need following up. That's, you know, it's as plain and simple as that. And, and Megan, that's why we're tracking and concerned because you know, again, to, to look at it through a gendered lens and those dropping out of the workforce, right? Is that, that you know, if you're, you're trying to, you know, you look at all of the numbers about women entering the workforce and then, you know, how it, it, it narrows, you know, going up. If we're, we're losing that middle, that middle chunk, that messy middle, as, as I call it in so many ways, then, then th that cultivation is just going to take longer over time as well. Right. And, and that is the concern. But I think I would say, like, I'm going to, there is, there is, I think, very good intention and realization. It's how to take that next step into action and concerted action over time. Okay. I love it. So I want to, could you leave us, if women were to, if you were recommend, I know women don't have a lot of time. We all kind of say the same thing. But if you were to leave um, a resource for women, something that you think is important maybe for us to read or know, what would it be? Uh, I would say the important thing is to read or learn, right? Yeah. It's this whole idea in this new world, 
Megan, of you'll hear upskilling, reskilling, lifelong learning, learn. Learn for the sake of learning, but also be strategic about it as well. Financial wealth, uh, you know, self-help, world history, just keep on learning. It all, all helps. So, you know, I know you're probably looking for a singular resource, but I do it. Just do it and, and dive, right? And, and it's easier said than done. And, and we've all lived that experience, but, but that's what you need to do. Oh, I think that's wonderful. I heard that from one of my favorite financial mentors. That's what she said. She said literally a very similar thing to you, but in relation to, to um, your, your, your wealth education, your financial education, just pick up an article from the Wall Street Journal. And I think we get so intimidated, like, oh, I won't understand it, but just pick something up. Just listen mm -hmm. to a, a podcast on something that you had not listened to, maybe around finance or business. And I Absolutely. think that's really important. I think that's great. Yeah, well, thank you so much. That was, I, I thank you for making time because I know how busy you are. Oh, it's been so. delightful. I actually appreciate, I'm delighted that you invited me to come on. Well, I will see you in person soon. As the COVID, <laughs> you and I actually will, we're friends with. But thank you, Miss Leah. Okay, thank you and have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our guest today as much as I did. If you are interested in connecting on social media, then I am on Facebook and LinkedIn, Megan O'Neill Core Beliefs. Or if you are thinking this is the time for you to empower your mindset and expand your life and business, you can find me at meganoneal.ca.